Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Blade Runner 2049 in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. The newest blockbuster to hit the markets was Blade Runner 2049 over this past weekend. It is the, I wouldn't say long-awaited sequel to the original, but I would say it is a sequel. And that's kind of the first thing I guess I should talk about. I find the original is good. I do not revere it the way a lot of people do. I think it was certainly iconic and set the stage for a lot of films to follow it Uh, you know a ton of films to follow it for sure but for me the quality of the original Blade Runner in and of itself is not I don't know it's not the highest I don't put it in my top 10 maybe even maybe even like 50 sci-fi films of all time and I've seen it twice I watched the uh, I originally watched it a few years back, and the first time I watched it, I was even lower on the film than I am now, and re-watching it um, about a year ago, I guess I can look up exactly when that was, can't I? Re-watching it uh, in April last year, so a year and a half ago, I, I definitely, my, my, Impressions of the film definitely improved. Uh, I bumped up the score on the movie overall, and it now sits at a 70 out of 100. So that's not very high when you consider so how much pedigree that film has and, and how much of a community response the, the legacy of it has. And, you know, I, I tried it twice. I'm... You know, I watched the final cut and the director's cut. You know, I don't know what else I can do to really appreciate that movie in in any other way. And so while my, my reactions to the original Blade Runner are a little tempered compared to a lot of other people, I was very excited... For 2049, I, I, you know, the trailers are largely inconsequential. They don't show much off for this movie more than just how it looks. And I was just, I was looking forward to it. It looked, I had heard a lot of good things early on and, you know, a while back. And then the closer we got to the release date, man, the positive reviews just kept pumping out faster than you could keep track of them. And this, this movie ends up... Uh, with a really strong, you know, 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. And and that's that's really impressive, you know. It's it's another sort of film that like, you know, it's a Mad Max Fury Road where you've got this long await I keep saying long awaited. It's not a long awaited sequel, you know. A lot of people the original movie didn't want the sequel, to be honest. And yet we got it. It's coming from Denis Villeneuve who is the best sci-fi director going right now, it's close, you know, he, he, and, I don't know, it depends, like, it depends on how you feel about the Planet of the Apes series, it depends how you feel uh, about a lot of movies, but he is one of the, in my opinion, he's the best 
uh, sci-fi director going at this moment. You know, Arrival was my number two film last year. Uh, it kind of took up and, and swept the Academy the same way Mad Max did in 2015. And, you know, Blade Runner 2049 seems poised to have the similar impact this year. Because it's it's a gorgeous looking film and it's going to be... Uh, it's not going to leave the conversation for a lot of those categories. But before we get into uh, the film itself, there are a couple of things to go through first. And those are the short films that fill in the gaps between Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Now... Denis Villeneuve has, you know, he, if you look up these these short films on YouTube, uh, you see a brief interview with the director himself as he goes into how he entrusted uh, both uh, Shinichiro Watanabe and Luke Scott to create three uh, short films that chronicle the changes that have taken place in this world over the last 30 years in, in the... In the world of Blade Runner proper, and the original Blade Runner took place in 2019, so we're about two years away from it right now, and the first short is anime style uh, from 2022, so it's called Blade Runner colon Blackout 2022, directed by Shinichiro Watanabe, it is animated, and the letterboxed, probably IMDb summaries, uh, Mm, no, no, there is no IMDb summary. The letterbox summary uh, it says the plot revolves around an electricity failure on the west coast of the United States. According to the film's official timeline, that failure leads to cities shutting down, financial and trade markets are thrown into chaos, and food supplies dwindle. There's no proof as to what caused the blackouts, but replicants, the bioengineered robots featured in the original Blade Runner, are blamed. Now, the blackout is something we we're going to come and keep coming back to and being referred to over and over again. As this event where uh, replicants kind of took offense to the fact that they were being hunted and the level of humanity in them, depending on how much of it you ascribe to them, caused them to ultimately rebel and lash out. And uh, this blackout wiped out the databases that told humans who were replicants. You know, the databases on the replicants, the, all of the... Uh, sort of paper details and paper trails that explained who was who and where their origin was and lifespans and all that kind of stuff completely erased during this blackout. But the blackout in and of itself had a far more, I don't know, it was a far more dire effect on the film or on the world itself and caused a lot more strife and pain and anguish than I'm sure was originally meant by by its its uh, its its perpetrators, and in this short film specifically, uh, you know you have these two characters uh, who are man. It's I don't know. It's it's it looks. I don't know. They're kind of they're on the run. They're being hunted by uh, sort of this police force, and you know. We see these two characters that attack what seems to be like a, a Tyrell Corporation compound. Tyrell, who makes the replicants, uh, they're in the process of manufacturing replicants with natural lifespans, not the four-year lifespans. And 
using an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, they cause this blackout that wipes out their servers. And it's because of this that ultimately the production of replicants is banned. You know, it pretty much destroys everything Tyrell Corporation has going for it. And there's, you know, there's some action, there's attack, you know, there's a lot of combat. Uh, there's a pretty badass female character, stereotypically, that takes out a ton of guys all by herself. And, you know, it's, 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 for my, for my money, it's the best of the three short films leading up to the, the actual film. Uh, the animation style is beautiful. You know, Shinichiro Watanabe is a, a very, very good animated director. Uh, he is probably most notable for Cowboy Bebop. Uh, he also contributed to the Animatrix uh, short films as well. And this is, you know, nothing short of just, just beautifully animated. And I think that it's, it's, it's light on character and things along those lines, but the impact overall that it has, it, it's just, it's good to see the desperation on the part of these replicants who feel marginalized in society and helps to further endorse and expand upon this world and this question of, you know, what is humanity and and how do we understand what being human is in this blade runner world and so blackout 2022 provides us with this small background element it, it sort of just locks down this piece of history in the world and it, it's it's a beautiful film to just look at uh, bar none uh, so I, I personally, I would say check out all of these short films before you see 2049. They're not in and of themselves essential, but they do provide a small amount of character fleshing out. And I, I think they're all well made and well uh, constructed toward that end. So the second one, and, and this actually Blackout 2022 was the last of the short films to be released. Uh, I'm simply talking about them in terms of chronological order. So the second film is uh, 2036 colon Nexus Dawn, uh, directed by Luke Scott, son of Ridley Scott. And uh, this one features the Jared Leto character, Neander Wallace, uh, 13 years before 2049. And the brief letterbox synopsis uh, goes on to say... This in-world short film takes place in the year 2039 and revolves around Jared Leto's character Neander Wallace. In this short, directed by Luke Scott, Wallace introduces a new line of perfected replicants called the Nexus 9, seeking to get the prohibition on replicants repealed. So, Neander Wallace, Jared Leto, has created the new generation of uh, replicants, and unlike the Nexus 8 replicants, the Nexus 9s are perfect because they will do exactly what their uh, creator and owner tells them. Uh, we get an example of this as Neander Wallace sits across from Benedict Wong and Ned Dennehy, and his subject, his, his man standing next to him, is a replicant, one of these Nexus 9, and Wallace instructs him to first cut his face 
and then ultimately kill himself in front of this panel. And the level of sophistication, the level of immediacy and just sort of sort of the lack of humanity in these Nexus 9 replicants is the exact thing that this council are looking for. You know, that is the exact whole reason why the manufacture of replicants was banned all those years ago. And we finally have someone, it's taken 14 years, based on this timeline between the blackout and now, Nexus Dawn, for someone to come along and say, look, you know, the idea behind replicants wasn't the problem, it was the fact that they were still able to retain some semblance of defiance, that the fact that they had a will of their own, and so he creates a new line that don't. They listen uh, perfectly to the commands that they are given by whoever is in control of them. And, you know, I liked this short. Uh, I think that Jared Leto, his performance is very cool, very calm, but very sinister. You know, he, he in, the old, in, the, in the feature film, you know, he doesn't have as many scenes as you might expect from sort of the uh, big villain of the fi- of the of the movie but he he makes a he makes use of a of, of what little screen time he does have and giving us a little a couple more extra minutes of him in this short film I think really help his character ultimately and it's curious to see you know he's already blind in this movie as far as we're aware and it, it it's it's you know it's it's worth noting that he has absolutely no qualms about the destruction of his product you know those that's what it is those that's exactly what they are to him products they're slaves and you know off-world sensibilities and and technology and and manufacturing and corporations and companies and all that stuff need this labor and this is the best way to go about getting that thing so 2036 nexus dawn uh also i think a good supplement to this franchise and this series in helping to flesh out the story between the two films but not being you know it's not required viewing uh, you know, you, you're not going to lose anything by going into the film not seeing this. There's plenty of text at the beginning of the movie to explain all these events in a more traditional way. And the final short, we jump up to 2048, colon, Nowhere to Run, also directed by Luke Scott. So this takes place exactly one year before the new film takes place, and it follows the Dave Bautista character, uh, who is Sapper. And the synopsis uh, says, The short film focuses on Sapper, a man who is trying to make it through life day by day without turning back to his old ways. We're introduced to both the gentle nature of Sapper and the violence he's capable of when set off. Uh, We get a scene, it's basically Sapper going through this marketplace. Uh, He approaches a young female, he gives her a book, which he explains isn't isn't sad but it's one of his favorites and we impl- in, we infer that it is sad 
and then ultimately gets into uh, a, a bout of fisticuffs uh, as as the as the film ends, uh, just in order to kind of protect the people he loves. And again, this is not something necessary to the viewing of the new film, but it does allow us a little bit more time with the Batista character, who we don't spend a lot of time with in the main uh, f- film either. And it just kind of uh, gives us a little bit of backstory to him. And and this is my least favorite of the shorts. I I think it's well made, but it's ultimately very, very unimportant and and unnecessary as the story of the whole franchise is concerned. So moving past that, 2048, Nowhere to Run. 2049, Blade Runner 2049 is long. Uh, it is it is it is very long and it is gorgeous you know it's a beautiful looking film it has incredible special effects uh, incredible atmosphere and cinematography and set design all of those things are are gorgeous to look at gorgeous to experience the camera languishes on all of these shots on all of these buildings and people and and movements and and motions and the direction from Villeneuve is striking. Uh, it's it's not, you know, if you if you're familiar with his other films, it's it's subtle. It's a slow burn. It it allows you to sort of go through and experience this event in the way that it needs to be experienced. You know, this isn't an action movie. This is a sort. Uh, this is a hyper intellectual uh, pseudo science kind of film where you have to get inside of these characters you have to really think about their motivations and who they are and what they are and those questions keep coming back up over and over and over again as the film continues it doesn't matter uh, what you think you know at any point in this movie there is always the chance and generally it is the case where what you know is not true. Uh, that's kind of the the hallmark of the series. You know, the original film took painstaking de- uh, efforts to muddle up and make problematic the truth about whether or not Deckard, Harrison Ford's character, is or is not a replicant. And while this film does not answer that question outright, uh, it does the same thing with uh, characters like Ryan Gosling's K and uh, the other people in this movie because that is what this movie franchise is about. It's about whether or not you can determine humanity and what it means to be human. And if you look at a couple of years ago at Ex Machina, where you have Donald Gleason and uh, you have... Oh, I can't think of, think of her name. Elisa Vikander. And she is an artificial intelligence, and he is trying to determine her humanity. You know, can he believe that she is real? Can he have emotions and feelings for her? Does he think of her as a human? Does he think of her as, a, as an android? And that film was very direct and very to the point, and... I love it. It's a great movie. Uh, 
actually, I think, higher, better movie than Blade Runner 2049, all things told, but those questions are a lot more important to Blade Runner. Those questions are a lot more uh, deceitful in the details, and they are a lot more you know, poignant and difficult to parse when you look and analyze Blade Runner. So stepping into this movie a little bit, the plot is quite simple. Uh, so just kind of breaking this down here, no spoilers. I will do a spoiler section for this movie. I think I kind of have to. Ryan Gosling playing uh, Agent K, who is a Blade Runner, is a replicant. That is made very clear to us early on in the film. And he is tasked with retiring former replicants. Uh, you know, the opening scene uh, involves him arriving at Dave Bautista's uh, abode and uh, retiring him in whatever means uh, he needs to. While he is there, he discovers a flower under at the base of a tree and further... Dis- uh, Digging into this, discovers that uh, something has been buried under the ground, under this tree. And what we come to find out is the bones and skeleton of one uh, Sean... What's her, what's her name? Damn it. Sean Young. Sean Young are in that box. Uh, she is, you know, from the original film. And it is, you know, it's startling, you know, what is, what is her body doing there? What's the point of this? How do, how do we, you know, what, what is, what are we trying to get at here? And so we have Robin Wright, who is the police chief commissioner, uh, lieutenant over, you know, uh, you know, Sean Young character, Rachel and Robin Wright, along with Wood Harris and, uh, David Desmalchian, are examining the remains and we find out that Rachel gave birth that is the crux of this film Rachel gave birth and we don't know where the child is if it survived uh, it seems to have been a c-section uh, that's what Gosling's character determines okay and now Robin Wright tasks Gosling with hunting down and eliminating the child. And her reasons for this are such that the discovery that Blade Runners have the capacity for life, that they can give life, that, uh, you know, they are not simply things that are created, that they are creators in and of themselves would throw the entire balance of the world into chaos, far more so than, you know, the blackout and replicants of old have already done. And so the rest of the film is uh, Gosling, K trying to track this stuff down, trying to, you know, discovering more and more information about this cir- these circumstances, and also grappling with his own identity, you know, as a replicant, he has, you know, he, he has a house of his own, a home of his own, and he lives with an artificial intelligent woman, uh, played by Ana de Armas, 
who is far more artificial than he himself, maybe. She is a holographic character uh, who is only alive because of technology, and she gives a great performance. You know, I, I, this is, I think, the third film I've seen it with Ana de Armas in it, and I've been largely unimpressed by her other two efforts. She gives a great performance in this. Uh, you have uh, Jared Leto as the head of the Wallace Corporation, ultimately ends up in conflict with Gosling as he has his right-hand woman, Sylvia Hoex, uh, who plays the uh, who plays the replicant named Love. Uh, she and Gosling are kind of both competing to track down this child. And man, Sylvia Hoax is is phenomenal in this film. She is is perfect, great, uh, kind of like Daryl Hannah from the original film, but far more fleshed out and far more interesting and compelling of a character. You have uh, obviously, if you've seen the trailers, you know Harrison Ford is obviously in this movie. He plays a very significant role, and he is not phoning it in. He is respectably, you know adding more layers to Deckard from the original film and yet still masking the identity and and uh, definition of what Blake uh, De- Deckard is. You also have Mackenzie Davis in this movie whose roles uh, I'm probably not going to get into until spoilers. Uh, she She's a far smaller role uh, along with Carla Jury. Carla Jury plays someone who... Uh, imbues replicants with memories. So she, so, you know, Gosling has memories from a childhood he never lived, and people like Carla Jury are the ones who create those memories. And you even get to watch her create memories, which is fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. And I think, you know, you, you just, you you experience this movie, It's it's over two and a half hours long, and it it washes over you. You know, I never checked my checked the time to see how long it was. You know, I wasn't concerned with that. I was just living this film in and of itself. And for me, I I thought it was really, really striking and very, very good. It's a great movie. And while I allude in my, my review on Letterboxd, I, I claim that it's it's not the arrival, it's not the Mad Max Fury Road of this year. What I mean by that is it is not the epitome of, you know, it's not the ama- amazing sci-fi movie that's at the top of my best films this year. It is certainly one of the best films I've seen this year. It's currently number six on my list. But... It is essentially Mad Max and Arrival in that I think it's going to get a lot of Oscar play. It's going to get a lot of awards play. I hope it does because it certainly deserves it. There are a lot of great facets to these fil- this film. But for me, that's War for Planet of the Apes. Like War for Planet of the Apes is still my number one film this year uh, as we kind of head into the Oscar season. And as magnificent as 2049 is, it's not... I don't know. It, it it doesn't it 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 comes so close to to true 
incredible filmmaking. It's it's got all the elements it needs. You know, Denis Villeneuve cannot go wrong. He he has not done any a single thing wrong in my eyes yet, and you know all the performances in these films are great. I think. And, and you know this this may sound crazy but like I think this movie needed more time to to reach a higher level on my spreadsheet you know as it is I've rated it 89 uh, so uh, a point above Brigsby Bear and a point behind John Wick chapter 2 because as nuanced and subtle as it is I think it shies away from a couple of very important things, and I, I'll get more to that in, in spoilers, but it, it it falls a little short in one or two spots, and it's mostly just narratively speaking, you know, I think the effects, the visuals, perfect, the sound, the score, perfect, uh, the performances are, are, are fantastic, it's, it's the story that ultimately, in my opinion, sort of blunts this movie from being the pristine and razor-sharp film that I think it could have been. And I think that that would have been doable with, like, another half an hour or something like that. I don't know. It's possible. So, uh, Blade Runner 2049, Now, before we jump into spoilers, uh, also going to talk about where it's sitting for me at the Circle of Film Awards. It currently leads all films in number of nominations. Uh, it surpasses War for the Planet of the Apes with nominations for a director for Villeneuve, male lead for Gosling, he is that good, uh, female support for uh, Sylvia Hoax, I think I'm saying that, I think it's Hoax, I think, uh, she is that good, uh, that's three. Number four is the score, it's, it's you know, Hans Zimmer, or is it Hans Zimmer? I think so, crew. Yeah, Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Walfish are are put together something incredible. I found out that it took them, I think, a month to create this score. That's astonishing. I I don't know how they did that. <laughs> I, I I in in such a short amount of time. You know, it it fits and flows so well. Uh, tactile effects, special effects, and scene. Uh, the scene in question uh, is. I just want to make sure, I, let me double check. I don't want to give the scene away if it is spoilers. Uh, so, give me one second here. Oh, I did not detail the scene in my 2017. Uh, it might, I think, yeah, I, can, I don't think I can give away the, the scene without going into spoilers. So, uh, suffice to say... It has an incredible scene in the movie. Uh, so, um, well, mm, they're not like I, I. I'm not gonna try and I'm not gonna try and like step around it too too delicately. It, it. I'll talk about the scene in spoilers, but I'm giving it a best scene nomination as well. So seven nominations. It takes over War from Planet of the Apes's number one spot with which drops down to six. Uh, but both of those films still have more nominations at the moment than any of the films uh, from last year. So still going strong in that respect. Uh, but yeah, man, I you know I understand why it's disappointing at the box office. 
after seeing it Friday afternoon, I fully expected that to happen. So, you know, not too super surprising, but man, you, you should go see it. It, it truly is a magnificent film. Uh, if you haven't seen it in a while, rewatch the original Blade Runner or like find a video on YouTube that re that catches you up on all the major events from that movie. And then like watch all the short films. They're only about 25 minutes, uh, runtime combined. And then just let this film do its thing. You know, wait until after the movie's over to really analyze it and try to jump into it because it's, while it's definitely going to give you enough time during the movie to to go into that detail, you're far better off uh, really just living the movie as it were uh, in and of itself as it's going playing. So I really enjoyed this movie. I think it's great, uh, but again, it does fall just a little bit short for me in in overall quality. And again, that's all mostly just narrative issues that I have. So thank you so much for listening to this. Uh, I'm now going to jump into spoilers. So if you don't want to hear spoilers for Blade Runner 2049, uh, thank you for listening and uh, come back again next time. And now, spoilers. Any path, so many worth exploring. This one would be so boring. Starting off, just to uh, not really kind of build up suspense, the the scene in question that gets this film into that nomination is the scene where Kay, Ryan Gosling, uh, copulates, has sex with, uh, physically experiences Ana de Armas' character. So as I mentioned, Ana de Armas is holographic in nature. And at one point, Mackenzie Davis shows up to, and Ana de Armas and Mackenzie Davis sort of mold into one thing. You know, Ana de Armas steps over top of Mackenzie Davis, which is a brilliant, fucking brilliant scene as the two of them sort of, but not really, mimic each other. You know, every movement is is very much... Uh, similar you know they're both they both reach out and caress Gosling the back of Gosling's head at the same time you know he's kissing both of them at once but Ana de Armas isn't physically touching him which is you know just watching those experiences and and seeing her movements in such that in that way was really fascinating and so the two of them kind of doing things simultaneously, but it also, you know, there's a moment where they both get undressed and they're wearing different types of clothing, so they have to do different motions to remove their tops, to move their shirts, pants, etc. And, like, just watching them... I don't know, it, it was just... It was very striking and visually very stunning of a of a scene. And so I, I think that's one of the most you know one of the most visually affecting scenes this year and and a fantastic scene all around for sure uh so further analysis of the plot blade blade runner 2049 you know gosling is after and is in search of this child that presumably was rachel and deckards he uh tracks down this sort of 
children's sewing factory-esque type place and questions the guy there, uh, no records, and he has this memory in his head, okay? Gosling tells the story to Robin Wright from his childhood that quote-unquote didn't happen. He's elevating these bullies at this exact uh, sort of <laughs> child farm, you know, like slave labor children farm, and he has this wooden horse that's his toy, and they're, the kids want the toy. He doesn't want them to have it. He's evading them. He's running down through the this furnace area, and he ends up sort of hiding it in behind this metal grate in a bag, and ultimately the kids don't get the toy. It's it's in there, but the, the, the you know, Gosling doesn't get to keep the toy. And after he explains the scene, you know, Anna Armas' character, you know, mentions, like, hey, look, like, why didn't you tell her the truth? Like, why didn't you explain what really happened? And you can see, we go back into the real version of this scene, and he turns the horse over, and on the base of it, on one of the coupling of feet of the horse is the date I think the date is 6 10 21 and this date was etched into the tree uh, at, toward the base of the tree where um, where we found the uh, Rachel's body where Rachel's remains were buried and this is I think this is the first time we see Gosling you know not tell the truth and it's a little murky because you know he wasn't explicitly like forced to you know he still told a story he still did exactly what robin wright's character said so you know we're not sure at this point uh if he necessarily disobeyed an order from her uh and then so we we figure that this memory that he has is incredibly important regardless of whose memory it is it is very important and the movie is pushing you to believe okay wait a second is gosling really a replicant because maybe this memory is real but it can't be because he is a replicant like it's obvious that he's a replicant you know you we've seen enough scenes with him to know that he is replicant enough to function in the way that they do and but what this throws into question is well if these nexus if the nexus 9 model perfectly follows the orders of its superiors and you know is far more controllable than the previous version of the replicants you know why is this happening you know what's causing this so he goes to carla jury's character carla jury love carla jury uh she's she was in wetlands a foreign language film which i think is amazing and she gives a fantastic performance in it uh she's smaller role in this but still quite good and she is as i mentioned in the pre-spoiler section she creates memories for people and we learn a little bit about her character as she creates memories in front of us while she talks to gosling and ultimately gosling reveals the memory to her in this uh, device through this machine and he tells her it show he shows it to her and she reacts and she's very taken aback she's very struck by this uh, memory and but she tells him that it is not 
real. You know, it's, 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 or, or not, I'm sorry, she tells him that it is real, and he freaks out. You know, he is noticeably upset, noticeably disturbed by this, because one, memories aren't supposed to be real, but two, uh, what does this mean for him? How? What does this mean ab- about him? Like, who is he because of this? And so when he goes to this facility where all these kids are, he questions about whether or not they found they had a kid fitting the description and, and time of uh, the presumed child of Rachel and Deckard. He goes to that scene in the furnace. You know, he go, it's in that exact spot. He... he reaches in, pulls out the bag, inside is the horse with that date on it. So like it's all confirmed. Like he he just doesn't understand what this means for him. And you know, this whole time he has Anna de Armas's character like kind of whispering in his ear, like, you're special. Like I always knew that. And this is a big deal. Like you are important. You are unique. And that's fascinating you know he is a blade runner replicant he is someone who by their very design is not unique and is not special and yet he has this implanted memory that really did happen and all of a sudden he's potentially the child of a replicant like that's astonishing like if he is the son of Rachel and Deckard, perhaps he himself is still replicant, uh, but just not Nexus 9. He is not the new model and therefore, uh, you know, doesn't play by the same rules. And we see that later when he lies to Robin Wright about having eliminated and found the child. You know, he's ultimately uh, arrested, taken back to to Robin Wright, who's like, look, what the fuck's going on? Like, you're doing this thing and that thing and like I tasked you with doing something else and he's like look I did it and took care of it it's done so she gives him I don't know like a little bit of a head start on Sylvia Hoke's character who uh you know the first time we see her she's like this sort of businesswoman slash secretary type then we see her with Robin Wright where she ultimately kills Robin Wright and uh you know, she's all of a sudden this, like, real badass, you know, doesn't take shit, you know, like, clearly selfish agenda type of character. And we see her with uh, Leto's Wallace and in his scenes. And and she just, she gives such a great performance. It's tough to really explain it. I think it's much easier to see. You know, she... Her, the final scene that she shares with Gosling is fascinating. The ruthlessness of her character, the way that she can, you know, she kills three other female characters in this movie, which is another issue I have. But, you know, she has no heart, but she, but she does have a heart. I, I don't know. It's so difficult to talk about it in those terms. And so Gosling finds determines that like he's you know this this is where the scene between him and Anna Armas and Mackenzie Davis takes place right after he leaves the precinct if I remember correctly and 
Fascinating scene. In it, Mackenzie Davis puts a tracking device on Gosling. Gosling leaves. Uh, he find, he tracks down uh, Barkad Abdi's character. So he has one scene in this movie. He gives Barkad Abdi the horse, and Abdi, first of all, determines that the horse is incredibly valuable because it's made of wood, and offers to give him like a real horse in exchange for it, which I found amazingly hilarious. But also determines this is this thing has a ton of radioactivity on it, and so pretty much uh, determines exactly where Gosling needs to go to figure out where it came from, and that's when we come across Harrison Ford. Takes a while to get to him, but he needs to figure out you know what's going on. Like if he you know he goes there presuming that Harrison Ford is his father. And they, there's a little bit of gunplay, nothing too sinister, nothing too potentially damaging. You know, Harrison Ford gets to like punch Gosling in the face like half a dozen times to no result. And the two share a drink, and you know, Gosling asks him a few questions about himself, about Rachel, and things like that. But ultimately doesn't he learns some new things you know he you know they Harrison Ford tells him you know well look we were on the run we had to do whatever we could to survive uh we we wrecked the database we changed the information in the database and things like that uh so you know he previously uh previously Gosling was looking at the registry of DNA for that time of year the 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 6 10 21 date and determined that there were two people born with the exact same DNA, impossible. One of them was deceased, the female, and the male was still alive. Uh, and Harrison Ford's like, yeah, like we had to fudge some of the details and things like that. So uh, ultimately, Harrison Ford, Gosling kind of come to a little bit of a I don't know, I wouldn't, not like a stalemate or agreement, but trust within each other a little bit. But then not exactly. So then somebody, you know, using the, somebody has followed Gosling there. It's Sylvia Hoax and, and Wallace Corp. Harrison Ford's pissed. They're on the run in his like huge casino hotel mansion. <laughs> There's a great scene where uh, Ford sort of closes the door, locks it behind him to prevent Gosling from escaping with him, and Gosling just breaks through the wall next to it, which was amazing. And then Hoax appears, they grab Ford, they throw him in the quote-unquote back of a car. Uh, Ana de Armas appears and is like, you know, telling Gosling to get up and like trying to stop Hoax from killing Gosling, and then Hoax kills Ana Armas's joy. She steps on the device that keeps her is alive. The right term, I'm not sure, but for lack of a better word, alive. The thing keeping her alive is destroyed, and man, ruthless. Uh, Hoax does leave Gosling alive though, which. I don't understand why she would do that. She is clearly very powerful. She is clearly very strong. But I, I can't imagine that she is 
so I don't know like why wouldn't you just kill him you know he's clearly alive they're like looking at each other and she just leaves uh, which I don't know I found very troubling and, and problematic in, in the film proper uh, so but she takes Harrison Ford she does get Harrison Ford and this is another issue I, I have with the film like Waz Corp is after Ford because they want the child and they want to know how to make more replicant babies or they don't want to make replicant babies it, it seems like the narrative of the film is trying to tell us that Wallace Corp wants Ford because they want to be able to have their replicants give birth so that they can pump out more replicants faster. That's the narrative I think the movie is trying to you know, give us, which seems counterintuitive because if the replicants can give birth, no one's going to buy replicants anymore because they are, their own replicants can just give birth to more replicants and then they don't need Wallace Corp. So that seems counterintuitive to the business model. What would make more sense to me is that he wants Ford to eliminate that possibility so that he can truly have a monopoly. But I don't get that sense that that's what the movie is trying to get at. So, small issue with that as well. Uh, he takes Harrison Ford to his chamber. This is the other big Leto scene where Sean Young is brought back. And man, she looks amazing. Like, it's original. It's like Sean Young, exactly as she was in the original Blade Runner. Seamless, like uh, you know, it's not Tarkin from Rogue One. It is incredible the way she looks. Like I, I found no flaws. She is exactly the way she was in the original movie. And ultimately, Sylvia Hoax executes her <laughs> in front of Harrison Ford, who can tell that it's not her, like by the color of her eyes, by just you know his own intuitive. Uh, understanding of of her and that character of and you know he loved her and so you know Leto can't and another this is also an issue but like Leto explains like well we have ways of torturing off world that are far more lethal and you know we'll get the answers that we need if you're not going to give them to us which seems like a contrivance and so we end up with Sylvia Hoax transporting Harrison Ford to an off-world facility. And in pursuit is Ryan Gosling. And there are two other ships with Sylvia Hoax that are transporting Deckard. Gosling takes them out. Hoax lands the Harrison Ford mobile. Uh, ensue fist fight between Hoax and Gosling. Ultimately, Gosling kills Hoax rescues Ford, and uh, saves the day. Meanwhile, while Ford was being interrogated, Gosling is picked up by the Mackenzie Davis crew. So remember, she put this tracker on him. Uh, she's actually part of Underground Replicant Revolution Society, and their leader, played by... I think... Uh, uh, Hayam Abbas, uh, who was previously in The Visitor and Exodus Gods and Kings. She leads this replicant army, army, like revolutionary army, and, you know, they are actively pursuing this 
child of Rachel. They need her child, and without such child, it's impossible. You know, that way they can be themselves. That way, this would definitively prove that they are not slaves, that they are not property, that they are human as much as we are. You know, what couldn't they do that we could do at this point? And during this conversation, she reveals that the child is female. And now again, we're, we and Gosling are all thinking that Gosling is this child. And so he's noticeably shocked by this revelation. And he's like, wait, what? Female? She's like, yeah, we fixed the records to say that the female was dead because that would throw off anyone looking for her because they think it's a boy. And so Gosling is like, well, fuck, what the fuck is happening? Who is the child? And so he, and he's, it's it's revealed that the daughter is Carla Jury's character, the one creating the memories. And so we go back through all this stuff, all these revelations, all these things. And, you know, Carla Jury is implanting real memories into who knows how many replicants, at least one in Gosling because this is a memory that really happened, but to Carla Jury's character. And she is sort of just like putting out these real memories in potentially, maybe not even intending this, but, but perhaps the hope that these replicants will learn the truth and, and lead her to her family. Or on the other hand, she just is in so much need and longing for the truth and her family that she she puts these memories into these into however many replicants they are uh, just to kind of deal with them and and confront them you know she is locked in this isolation chamber by herself which has to be you know the worst and it's it's just it's it's difficult it's it's very difficult and i think you know this is definitely a blow to gosling you know he here he is thinking he's effectively the chosen one he's not and so when he rescues harrison ford he tells him about his daughter and uh takes him there and then we watch as Gosling sort of like collapses on the stairs outside the building as the snow falls he dies Harrison Ford enters the room presses his hand up against the glass uh, as he approaches Carla Jury's character and cut to black and this movie is is really good, guys. It's really good. Gosling's performance is phenomenal. Hoax's performance is phenomenal. Everyone else does a great job as well. You know, Anna Armas almost makes it into my supporting female character category alongside Hoax. That's how good I think they were. Uh, and I just I love the cast top to bottom. Like I mentioned, a couple you know narrative issues. Uh, particularly, you know, transporting Deckard off-world and uh, some of the issues along that. Uh, hoax not killing Gosling's character. I don't know. It just it, They were so problematic for me that I recognized and had an issue with them watching the movie. 
and have only kind of like caused further kind of corruption and then sort of seeping into the back of my mind the more and more I think about the movie. Outside of that, the themes, the potential questions, you know, what it means to be human. Is Deckard human or replicant? You know, it can still be possibly either way. You know, potentially the only reason they were able to have children was because he's human and she's a replicant. Rachel, I mean. And on the other hand, like, maybe the only reason is because they're both replicants. And, like, I can see in the back of my mind, like, have... Has Wallace Corporation been experimenting with humans and replicant procreation in the past? Did they hit a wall where they said, okay, look, we can't figure this out. We have to find the guy who did it originally. And then you've got this entire revolutionary army of replicants that was fascinating. Like we see them in one scene and yet I want a movie for them. And I mean, obviously it had to be probably have to be like Denny Villeneuve making that movie which may or may not take <laughs> come to fruition but it's it's astonishing like it, there's, there's so much going on in this movie beneath the surface with such a like sort of skin and bones plot you know the entire relationship between Gosling and Armis is fascinating because she's not real but like is even he real i don't know if he if he is then what does that make the relationship? But if he isn't, does that make the relationship more or less authentic? Uh, You know, like she can't physically touch him without the aid of another person, which isn't even a real person. Like Mackenzie Davis is also a replicant. So like there's no humans there. And I I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's all fascinating. It's all... Just I think more and more complex and diluted the further and deeper into this story and into this film you go. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Villeneuve has done fantastic work with all of his films in portraying that sort of aspect. Enemy is, I think, the most similar in that regard. Enemy is a film that, for me, really took a deep analysis to like understand in any capacity and while i think blade runner has a little bit more going for it on its surface than enemy did i think it's just as deep if not deeper than enemy was i think enemy does have definitive answers the deeper you look at it whereas blade runner i think just muddles that question the answers to its questions more and more the more closely you analyze the elements in this movie so, like I said, you know, seven nominations for me, one of my favorite movies of the year, and I'm I'm consistently, consistently impressed by Villeneuve's work. I think he he made something truly brilliant in this, and as much as a shame it is it as it is that it's not doing as well at the box office as it maybe should for how good of a movie it is i'm still glad that i mean 30 million people 30 million dollars is nothing is not nothing and that's that's a pretty good you know that's more than like a ninjago opening weekend it's more than you know most films so i i'm not upset by that i'm i'm pleased that this movie is going to make some money and and a lot of people are going to get to see it so blade runner 2049 
uh, man, check it out. It's really good. And uh, is Deckard a replicant? Who the fuck knows? Uh, I'm glad we'll probably never, uh, never know. I'm glad we'll never know. So thank you so much for listening. If you have any comments, concerns, questions, or answers, you can direct those to circleoffilm at gmail.com. If you are interested in learning more about the website, about me, the spreadsheet, the podcast, head over to circlefilm.com. I've made, I'm in the process of making a lot of updates and changes. Uh, so uh, you can find a further, a more detailed and mathematical explanation of the ranking formula I talked about in last week's, uh, in, in Friday's episode on this, the website now. Uh and then if you would like to support the show in any way, shape, or form, head over to patreon.com slash circle of film. Uh, a recent post on there outlines the upcoming 2015 Circle of Film Awards. Yes, 2015 Circle of Film Awards. And uh, some of the films that are in contention in it. So keep an eye out for that in the next month or so. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same goodnight. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fades from view. So long, farewell, I'll be the same adieu. In the name of love, one night in the name of love. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So long.